right, Chief Forte, thank you so much for coming on the show. It is my pleasure, Chris. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So to start, that I did get the pronunciation right. It is Forte, correct? It is. It is what I like to say. It's just like the car, but I was here first. <laughs> you know, I, I've heard the the word when people say like something is their forte, like their specialty. I've heard the actual correct pronunciation is fort. It depends on yeah. It, it depends on where you are and what part of the world. Um, the anaforte is a strong term used for for um, musicians. Um, and it's also largely known in France as well, which I found that out a couple of months ago. Um, but if you come from Brooklyn, like my dad did, it's Forte. Huh. I didn't know all that. Huh, I guess it is the musical term too, which I, I knew, but I never put that together. True. So uh, first of all, how, tell us about your, your Thanksgiving. You said you're going to have it uh, actually on, uh, on Saturday here. Yeah, um, our our world in emergency services uh, is is unique to say the least. And there's times when you just don't celebrate birthdays on your birthday or anniversaries on your anniversary, and it goes true with holidays. Um, Christmas is a ranging number of days, um, three days prior to or three days after the actual holiday, and the same thing with Thanksgiving. Um, my family is is riddled with people in emergency services. Um, my, my daughter is a, is a firefighter. My son's a firefighter. My son-in-law is a police officer. Uh, my nephew is a firefighter. My brother is a former fire chief and, and city manager. So, um, we were used to not having the holidays on the days, but making the days count when people were off and making it most advantageous. So our holiday actually is going to be Thanksgiving tomorrow. Um, on Saturday when my daughter's off and, and we can get, kind of get everybody together. Oh, very cool. And we, we certainly appreciate uh, you guys making those personal sacrifices for the public safety. And that did bring me to a question I wanted to ask, which is, and since we're for the people listening, we're recording this day after Thanksgiving. Um, were there any Turkey fryer fires here in Palm coast this year? Not necessarily fryer incidents, but we did have um, several smoke alarms that caused the fire alarm in homes to go off, um, and, and it triggered a response. But it was some people call them smoke detectors, other people call them cooking timers. Um, but in essence, we, we just had some <laughs> mild events where uh, the fire department was called to go out to houses that had some smoke in it from cooking. Um, typically you'd, you'd have a few incidents where, um, an overzealous, uh, first timer was, was doing a grease fire or grease cook and the, and the grease had caught fire. And this year was, was relatively tame. Well, that's good to hear. Come to think of it, it might've been good to have you on before Thanksgiving, cause I'm sure you'd have <laughs> a lot of tips from your experience on how to, how to avoid the, the smoke alarms going off. Never mind something, uh, a little more dangerous. Yeah, we um we actually try to put some things out. Um, for example, we've got the Christmas wreaths that are going up on the fire stations this coming week, and if you see them, they're all riddled with green light bulbs, which is a good thing. And what we try to do is put a lot of promotional information out and public safety information out right before Christmas and the holiday season, so that we reduce the amount of fires in the home. 
um, you know, safety things such as, as making sure that your fireplace flue is open if you decide to have a fire or um, not cooking anywhere near the sides of your house that it might catch on fire or overloading your, your oven that it's got too much stuff in it. Um, but in essence, we do get fires throughout the, the, the Christmas season. And as we do, we, we change one green bulb to a red bulb, and we indicate that we get a few fires every every December during the holiday season. So we will try to put some information out. Um, Patrick Giuliano is our public information officer, and I'm sure you'll be seeing things from him very shortly. Yeah, I'm familiar with Patrick. He does a fantastic job. Is there a, is there an, a noticeable spike in fires around the holiday season just because of the nature of it, people gathering often doing things involving heat and or fireplaces? There, there are. Once you, um, once you change seasons, when you go from the hot summer to the fall and then the fall into the winter, folks are using their air conditioners, and then suddenly they're using their heater, which has um, a, uh, a heating element inside the, the um, equipment. And a lot of that gets dust on it. So there will be a lot of calls initially for, um, the smell of smoke or something burning in the house. And we go on a lot of those. And, and that's all over the, the southern part of the United States that has air conditioning and heat. Um, but you've also got uh, a lot of things that are going on that are people who are doing a tremendous amount of cooking closer to the holidays. And a lot of times they, they forget about things or they put stuff in the oven and they forget about it. And then they turn the oven on and the stuff inside the oven goes on fire. Um, we, we have a lot of those, um, but it's it's a lot of it is is all human interactive. Uh, people are doing things. There's a lot on their mind. They forget things, um, and and the most important thing about the holidays is paying attention exactly what you're doing because cooking as as great as it can be, it's also dangerous with a lot of people in the house. Mm-hmm. And this could be purely uh, speculation on my part, but isn't the fact that it's drier around the holidays doesn't that probably contribute too? It does. The humidity goes down um, usually around uh, the end of November, December, January, and into February, just because we get a lot of the cold fronts from the central part of the, the country. And when the humidity drops, uh, the, the likelihood of, of brush fires goes up. The reduction of rain in that time of year also um, is, is problematic. And we keep an eye on all the natural occurrences that happen going into February and March. But right around now, you're starting to feel that the, the grass is drier. There's less rain. There's, there's less humidity. Um, it feels cool outside. It feels refreshing and wonderful. And if people are outside and they're, they're burning anything in any capacity, it has a tendency of, of catching a breeze and spreading a lot faster. Mm-hmm. So what are some things that people can do to practice fire safety other than like the really obvious ones people might not know about? Well, it's, it's basically know the size of your fire. Um, there's folks that, that have a warming fire outside their house or, or in a controlled area. Um, there's no open burning in the city of Palm Coast, but if you're having a warming fire, you want to make sure there's a screen on top of it and that it, it's containing the embers. There's a garden hose that's going to be close by that if something should get a little bit out of control. You can spread, slow the spread yourself, um, but you want to make sure that there's a, a, a garden hose that's clear outside. Um, certainly, if you're cooking inside the house, it's great to have a fire extinguisher close by and making sure that if you need it um, for something that's 
that's going quick. There's an extinguisher right there. But there's some simple basic things that you have to keep in mind is is when you're cooking or you're doing anything inside the house is do it in moderation and don't do it to the point where you're you're losing your attention on other things besides cooking. Um, you, you don't need to fill a pan all the way up with oil when it gets really hot. Um, it'll spill over because the liquid expands as it gets hotter and it'll spill over onto the flame or on top of the heating element. Um, having a cover for your pot and pan is, is ideal because what better way to, to quelch out a fire on the stove is if you can cover it, it starves it of oxygen. It can't breathe and the fire would go out. Um, making sure that there's no items around the stovetop um, that is going to catch fire, anything that's combustible. Many years ago, my, my wife had brought home um, the, the really pretty covers that go on top of the the coils for your stove and it, it was less than a week and one of them caught on fire because it was turned on and we forgot about it so mm-hmm. you have to be cognizant of everything that's in and around the working area of the kitchen so that nothing is susceptible to combustion and, and you keep the fire away from the combustibles hmm. well, that's certainly good advice i mean i'm sure Maybe a couple people uh, across the state, maybe across the country, wish they'd heard before Thanksgiving. But yeah, um, yeah. so circling back around to you, how long have you been with the Palm Coast Fire Department and how did that lead to you eventually becoming chief? My first experience in the fire department happened in July of 1990. Wow. Um, oh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> Whatever. Um, yeah. in, in July of 90, my, my brother actually told me to go down to the fire station and go meet with a fellow named Norman Lewis, who was the fire chief. Because at that time, I was going through the police um, schools. I, I tried to get on the New York Police Department, Connecticut Troopers, um, and I moved to Florida in at the uh, January of 90. And the, the tests were few and far between. And my brother Joe insisted I go to this fire school and you just sit in the class, learn something, and you might get a career out of it. And, well, 31 years later, here I am. Um, but I met Norman Lewis. I walked into the fire station and, and I didn't know who he was. He, he didn't have any fancy, shiny stuff on his on his lapel or anything. And he gave me a hat. He gave me bunker pants and some boots and a coat and the, a, a pager at that time. And he said, when that little yellow light goes on, come down to the fire station and get on a truck. And I just thought to myself, this couldn't be that easy. And it was. And I got into fire school. Um, a year later, I got my certifications in. Um, and the following September, um, I made it into the career ranks as a firefighter in September of 92. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you got to remember, Chris, back then it, w- it was a completely different city. It was a different world. Um, the, the training was 300 hours to be a firefighter. An EMT like today is, an e- is a college semester, mm-hmm. um, but, but it relied a lot on um, self-motivation and, and teamwork. Um, and, and that carried through all the way through today, which is part of our fire intern program, is a lot of that same um, – motivation and self-starter that I remember having back then, we instill that on the folks coming up. But um, I remember my first day um, on on a career fire engine 
um, was a pretty busy one. We had a couple of accidents and, and a fire. And I thought to myself, oh, this, I could do this forever. And uh, carried it through 1998 when we had the wildfires. And, and in 1999, I got promoted to captain. And 2008, I got promoted to deputy chief. And then uh, when Mike Beadle retired in 2018, I, I got promoted to the fire chief. Wow. It's, been a, it's been an amazing experience and ride. And, and going back to the one fire station in 1990, I always wanted to go leave for a much bigger organization. And then 30 years later, here we are with five stations. The sixth one is in, in concept right now. Um, and certainly the, the stations that we're planning are, are going to be um, part of the future. But it, it is exactly where I wanted to be 30 years ago. Wow. So back then, when you did join in the early 90s in the Palm Coast Fire Department, this is before Palm Coast was actually incorporated as a city. So how did how did that work on the on the structural level? Was there like already a fire department just dedicated to that that unincorporated area? That's a that's a great question, Chris. It's um, back then it was the Palm Coast Service District Advisory Council. Mm. And it was the advisory council were made up of appointees that um, would would put their information or resume in, and it would be selected through the Board of County Commissioners, and, uh, and they would be appointees to oversee some of the services within the city. So uh, the fire department being a larger group, um, they oversaw our operation. Back then, we had nine firefighters and probably about 25 volunteers. Mm-hmm. And if we wanted to, to, to get anything accomplished, we had to put a budget together. It would first go through the Service District Advisory Council, who were made up of you know, well-intended folks in the community, um, but they didn't have a lot of governmental background. And then these folks would take a swipe at the budget, and then it would go off to the county at the time, because at, at then the, the Service District Advisory Council could not handle funding or, or monies because they were an advisory board. They weren't a government entity. So we would have to go for, to them for the first swipe at the budget, and they would look at the budget over. Then they would hand it off to the Flagler um, County Fire Chief at the time, or it would be the emergency manager for the county who we would fall under at then. Um, and then there would be the county admi- administrator, and then the Flagler County Board of Commission. And so by the time we've gotten done with our entire budget process, it would look different from when it started because it went through so many different uh, hurdles or groups of people. Um, When the city incorporated in 99, um, one of the first things that we did is we prepared a budget and the city manager then reviewed it, um, which was a much more streamlined process. And it was at that point we were able to at least um, put together our strategic action planning for then and identify areas of growth and things that we needed to handle. Um, so it, it's, it was a, an evolution going from a service district um, form of government to an actual city ran form of government. Yeah, I would imagine it sounds like a really dramatic change in, uh, in how things were handled. And you did mention around that time, probably about a year before that change happened, is we had the 1998 wildfires, which if anyone listening doesn't know, was an incredibly 
devastating wildfire in which the whole the whole of Flagler County was evacuated. But you know, you being there and being a part of of that, you know, what 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 was it like on your end just working through that just momentous event? So I, I can give you a my interpretation, but I'll give you also what what one of the things that I saw in '98. Uh, the movie Armageddon came out, and back then, the the movie theater was at St. Joe Plaza, and I could remember it was about my fourth straight day of being on the engine, and the fires had already gone through the north end of town, and coming down off of um, Brushwood, we turned onto Pomco's Parkway, and and the the big Bijou sign on top of the movie theater said Armageddon. And I wow. said, no kidding. And it was, it was surreal. And everything leading up to it had all the indications of a bad summer. Um, all the way from June 6th, which was the first big fire in Seminole Woods, um, all the way through the July 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th, um, where we really took a beating. Um, we, we knew it was a bad season. But the, the folks that were in, in emergency management at the time, which was very challenging, um, they didn't have the experience that other people in the state did with ordering resources and requesting resources. And, and you have to remember back then, the, the county operation was still in its infancy. Um, they haven't had a lot of training or exercise. Um, they were more civil defense folks that were leading at the county at that point, as opposed to emergency managers. And, and, and as a side note, I can't tell you how grateful I am to have Jonathan Lord where he's at. He's phenomenal at what he mm-hmm. does. Um, but, you know, you're talking about a, a, a small fire department in Palm Coast and a new emergency management group at the county that was that was very novice. Um, and they didn't request the resources that we needed. And, and the problem with that is it led to the city's depart- uh, the creation of the city and, and going their own way. Um, I, re- I remember living through this and requesting information on how do we order more resources from the state, knowing full well that there were dozens of fire engines sitting at the International Speedway Raceway waiting for an assignment and no one was ordering them. At that point, uh, well into the uh, first uh, couple of days of July, we were calling our friends and fire stations throughout the region, asking them, can they send us something to help out? Um, just because we were running into the roadblocks that, that should not have existed. Um, we, we were getting people that were voluntarily coming to the city to help us out at that point. Um, and, and as grateful as we were, they could only stay for a short period of time and then they'd have to go back to their own districts. So, you know, when, when we asked for help, we would call friends in other places and, and they would come. And I've never forgotten that. And, and I truly appreciated those, those folks and the commitment they made without, without even thinking twice about it. What remind me again, what was your position in the ranks when, when all this happened? I was in the rank of Lieutenant and, and we were in flux mm-hmm. ourselves. Um, that was just before I, I made the, uh, a captain's role mm-hmm. and, and so we had 15 people on the department at that point, And it was me and another person at station 22. 
and there were three people at Station 21, but I was I was just about to make captain, um, and the the organization just had opened its second station on the east side of, of 95. Mm. And I, I do want to ask one more question about 98, just because I've always been so interested in that that event, is I know, so you had the Forest Service and the Wildland guys were out there, obviously they were trying to plow lines around it or do, attempting to contain this ridiculously large fire. What was what were the duties of the structural guys like you? Like, um, what... What what was a day of fighting these tremendous fires? Like, what did that look like for you guys? Well, I, I can go back to mid-June of 98. Uh, let's go back a couple of years before 98. Palm Coast Fire Department had a, a long history with uh, the forestry division, working with their folks. And we worked in tandem on a lot of things. And we also used to burn out a lot of, of, of the lots in Palm Coast because of low population, low density, and we knew the effects of a good prescribed burn program. So Mm -hmm. our friendship and relationship with the forestry division has always been and will continue to be phenomenal. Um, We we had folks in our divisions that were um, prescribed burn managers. We had folks that would work with their crews. Um, A lot of municipalities, when they have a a brush fire there, they stop at the street and we were heavily involved in fire operations inside the, the burn zones. So our experience and relationship with, with the Forest Service at, at that point um, was as close as you could possibly get, and, and it always remained that way. Going into um, 98, we started getting um, notified in April that it's going to start drying out. It's going to get pretty bad, and if you recall – um, 98 started off very wet. It was a very rainy um, January, February. And by the time um, April, May, and June came around, it started drying out a lot. And uh, the typical day would start off with uh, around 6 o'clock. Most of the crews would report back to work. Um, some of us would go to the briefing that forestry would have. We would find out where the hot zones are. We'd find out where all of the other areas of the si- of, of the state we're having their fires because it might not be our problem today, but it will be somebody's problem somewhere that they might need assistance. So mm-hmm. when when you go to these briefings, they're usually at 7 a.m. Crews are deployed, safety briefings are given, objectives given out, um, and concentration on, on what the objectives are going to be for the next operational period are handed out to the crews. Um, Usually you're, you're fixing, finishing what you've started the day before. If you've got a fire that you had to put out, you're checking on the previous fires. Um, you're, you're going around making sure that anything that you did have is, is either dead out or, or well-contained 100%. And then you could almost set your clock to it by noon, 1 o'clock, the sea breeze would change and some fire would kick off someplace else and, and it would just consume the rest of your day. Usually you'd get out of the woods by seven, eight, nine o'clock at night um, if it's contained. And if not, you're going through the night and hoping to get a couple hours of sleep the next day. Wow. But for the better part of, I would say, 45 days, that's what our our work cycle was for that, that period. Jeez. Yeah, it, it, it was just uh, a whole lot. And I uh, I was alive for it, not 
not quite alive enough to really remember it, but, um, but yeah, just everything I've heard. Cause I used to work with the, the forester guys myself. So I've, uh, I've definitely heard a lot of pretty harrowing stories of people who are involved in that, you know, that, that little crisis. But, um, so yeah, and anyone listening, if you don't know about the 98 fire season here in Flagler County, that's a great little rabbit hole to go down on the internet. But getting back to more more current, more and local things, um, what does the uh, Palm Coast Fire Department do for for residents other than just responding to fires that people may not be aware of? Um, well, one of the most uh, important things that we do is our home inspection program, and when when folks go on the internet, they look up the home inspection program. It's it's more than just coming out and checking your smoke detectors. We actually schedule folks on on a Friday. Um, it's it's all appointmented out, and when we go to the house and we make sure that it's senior safe. So we look for trip hazards. We look for any areas that we can improve where folks are trying to get around their house to eliminate the possibility of falling. They have. Um, a program that they'll walk around the house. It's, it's uh, making sure that the house is fire wise. That came out of uh, a lot of the stuff from 98 that making sure that if there's a fire outside their house, the fire won't get up into the eaves and cause the house to go on fire. So they, they can make recommendations with that. They come in and they, they check your, your kitchen area, make sure that everything is clean and safe. And they also make sure that the smoke detectors, the batteries are changed. If you've got batteries for them to swap out, the big thing about this is when you look at the folks that are over the age of 80 or 85, they fall and break a hip. There's a 50% morbidity rate rate of someone dying um, as a result of that. And it might not necessarily be the hip fracture or the broken bone, but it's, it's the uh, decline in, in life that you would have and experience. And it's called failure to thrive, which is written on the, the a death certificate is once a person breaks a large bone or a hip and it's very difficult for them to recover, there's a 50% chance they won't survive six months after the, the fracture. Mm-hmm. So our goal is to get into the houses and change smoke detector batteries so that folks don't have to climb a ladder or don't have to reach um, their folks that will try to climb up on a, a chair to, to reach something and slip and fall. And while we put this program in place, we did notice a decline in in fall injuries, but we really want to make that apparent to, to the community that please call us and, and we'll come out and make sure that you don't have a fall and you change the batteries for you. You have the batteries on hand. We'll, we'll come out and change everything for you and make sure that the smoke detectors are there to, to help protect you. Um, we call them the 24 hour firefighter in your house. Once they're in there and they go off, it's time to get out and, and let us come in and do the work. But if the smoke detectors aren't working, you're you're gonna one possibly get hurt changing the battery. And two, um, waking up from a the dead of the night into a smoke filled house, uh, you're you're probably gonna get hurt. Right, and that's a great service because I've changed a lot of smoke alarm batteries myself, and when they're pretty high up there, it's a uh, it's sketchy work for sure. When you have to get the ladder in the house, it's uh it's definitely you know it feels real easy to fall when you're doing that. It is, and, and most folks don't have a one of those stable uh, ladders that we we carry around a lot. Uh, some of them are rickety. Some of they just don't support the weight, or the bottoms of the ladders are either gnarled up or or 
have a skid potential, mm-hmm. but it's it's so easy when you provide a free service such as this and, and some of the other things. We do CPR um, for the community. Um, we're, we're out in public doing a lot of things for folks. It's important to know that, that if you're not sure, call us. We'll can come out and, and help you out and limit the exposure that you have to potentially getting hurt. No, that's that's great. Absolutely. So uh, one one last thing I did want to uh, touch on before uh, before we left today is this summer you were appointed as the interim uh, assistant city manager of Palm Coast, and uh, that's a role that you are are still in to this day. So what has that post entailed for you, and how has it been working with interim manager Denise Bevan? Chris, you there? You broke up. Jerry, you there? Oh, hello. Can you hear me? Chris, you there? Yeah, you there? Can you hear me? Hello? Hi, you there? Yeah, I, I can hear you. Can you hear me? You, you broke up at the very end of that. Oh, I can't hear you can now. You? Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Can okay. you hear me? Go ahead with your question again. It, it broke up. Nothing's coming through, Chris. Go ahead. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I I wasn't able to hear you at at some point there. I don't know when it cut out. You were just um, talking about the uh, interim um, city manager spot, and then it went dead. Huh. Okay. All right. Now I have something on my, and it looks like it's attempting to reconnect to the server. Don't know what that was. Might've been a little, Oh yeah. It looks like the Wi-Fi. I guess had a little hiccup. That's weird. Is it your Wi-Fi or mine? It looks like it's mine. Okay. Spectrum had a little, little hiccup there. So let me, Pause the, try and pause the recording if I can. Oh, I think I'm getting back on here. All right, here, let me, let me hang up and see if we can hear each other. Can you hear me? Yeah, much better. All right. Awesome. Okay. So I'll just start that question over and write it all that out. All right. So you have served as, as interim city manager of Palm Coast since this summer. Um, what has that post entailed and how has it been working with, uh, interim city manager, Denise Bevan? Um, I, I have to start off with, with Denise is a phenomenal human being. She is caring and, and a great person to be around on a regular basis. Um, she's smart. Um, she, she is a, a leader and she's really great at bringing groups of people together and, working through any kind of challenge or problems and things like that. And I've had the, the honor of working with her for about 14 years, going way back to the Jim Landon days when we were both on the same light team programs. Um, she was doing strategic action planning and I was doing performance measurements. So working with her has been been complementary um, both directions. And, and she's just an easy, great person to work with. And, um, you know, in in my role as the interim city manager, uh, assistant city manager, it, it was basically finding out um, what our gaps are and 
where are our biggest challenges that we need to, to focus on and get through. And, and our goal then was to make sure that all of the departments stay focused on the tasks at hand. Um, I like to call it keeping the rudder straight for the boat to go forward mm-hmm. and making sure that the, any of the departments, if they've got challenges or problems, we work them out, work through them. The other thing was to making sure that working with the different departments and, and getting the budgets ready and Helena Alves and, and her team have been phenomenal about getting the budget where it needs to be. Um, but for the, for the most part, um, there was a lot of turmoil uh, right around the first of the year. And, and you try to keep focus on what the tasks are at hand. And when the former city manager uh, left abruptly and the mayor also left before him, um, there was a lot of people looking for consistency and, and continuity and, and calm. And I think that's what Denise brought in, in helping her getting to that point in, in, in the city was, was vital to making sure that we could still continue to move forward. Um, any kind of um, upsetment like that could cause an organization um, to, to get rattled and, and lose focus on what they have to do. And part of what I was doing is helping her with navigating the multiple departments. Um, she came from the planning department, but she also has a little bit of experience in the others. Um, I've been with the city for, for um, at that point, almost 30 years. And I've got a broader perspective on how many of the things were operating. And I was, I was actually at public works for almost uh, two thirds of a year, uh, two years ago, just to help them get along as well. So it, it's, you know, having that background and, and experience was very helpful to getting some of the things Denise needed done too. Um, it's, it was, um, it was a difficult time. It was very stressful. Um, and I think what we did were able to reduce a lot of that stress that was being seen citywide um, by the employees. And we were able to focus our attention on what needed to get done and, and steady the ship as it went down the, the river there. Hmm. Very cool. And I completely agree about Denise. She's just awesome to work with. So, all right. On that note, uh, Chief Forte, that's a, it's about our time, but thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, just, just uh, we've got a, a Christmas coming up. I think as a now is a great time to to connect with old friends and make new friends. Um, utilize your city staff if you need anything for those who are listening in the Palm Coast area. We've got a tremendous amount of great people that work in the city. Um, I actually I just moved into a, a new house and I had a problem with my sewer that the septic uh, that the sewer was was backing up and the utility folks came out. And at this point, I was I was John Q. Citizen, and they came out, didn't know me from anything, and they did a phenomenal job. So lean on your city staff if you have a question or a problem or a challenge. Get on Palm Coast Connect. There's an answer for us. They can help you out. Um, but but definitely enjoy the Christmas season coming up and, and the people that are around you because they're fleeting. You just don't know who's not going to be here the next year. And enjoy the time with people that you can. Yeah, absolutely. Very nice. And uh, don't don't go starting any fires. But if you do, call those guys. Thanks a bunch, Chief. Thank you, Chris. Enjoy your day. Mm -hmm.